0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. I guess somebody should tell the worship arts pastor it's not Easter anymore, right? But actually, every week is Easter. Come on, isn't it? How awesome is it that we had 927 people last week? Come on, that's awesome! Actually, 929, two more people came in after the the count was done, but nobody takes that as the official count. I don't know why, but I think that's just awesome that that we had that last week. So that's that's great. If you invited somebody, uh, great job, because there are people in this region who need to know that there's a God who loves them and that there's a way to be with him now and forever. In fact, that's what we're talking about in this series, and I want to welcome you back to this series. It's a new series. This is our second week uh, called Changed. And throughout this series, we're asking this question, can people really change? And more specifically, can you really change? And even more specifically is, can I really change? Now, the first three weeks of this series is set up to answer those questions and we're going to do the best job that we possibly can in opening up God's Word, who we believe gives us the answers to those questions, and we're going to unpack that. And then in the last two weeks of the series, we're going to talk about the now what question. If, if it's true that we can change, now what? Now what do we do? Where do we go from here? And so we're going to unpack that uh, First, these three weeks, and then the last two weeks. So it's a really exciting series, and I hope if you've got friends who you've been wondering if they could ever change, bring them. Specifically, as Pastor Chris mentioned, next week, because next week is the pivotal message in this series, and it's called Invited to Change. And that's going to be the opportunity when we give people the opportunity to actually do some real change. We're going to do that tonight as well, but next week, specifically, if you have a friend who doesn't know Jesus, it will be one of the most important weeks for you to bring them, and it will be an important week for you not to miss as well. So the first week, Pastor Chris did an awesome job, which was just last week, which was Easter, and uh, he did an awesome job of explaining how we change first by entering into the family of God. That's where real, true change comes from. And so if we want to understand changing and how we can change inside of us, we have to think about where it actually starts, and it really starts down in our hearts, right? It starts down in our hearts because we can work on our behaviors, and in fact, the world is set up to help people to really change their behavior. But what Pastor Chris and I and a lot of you know is that if we truly want to change, it goes beyond our behaviors into what are known as our beliefs because our beliefs ultimately determine our behaviors. And so Pastor Chris shared last week how it starts, this true change inside of us starts as we come into the family of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we read that God adopts us into his family when we believe in him. God gives us grace through faith. And that's an awesome promise, and that's what Pastor Chris talked about Last week, and the reason is this: because in our natural state, we are we're born enemies of God. We have a nature that's called sinful, and our sinful nature separates us from God because God is ultimately holy; He's set apart, and we cannot be in an, our natural state in a relationship with Him. So we have to be changed in order to be with Him now and forever. And so in order to do that, we have to trust Jesus and God gives us grace because Jesus, remember last week, Jesus came to live the life we couldn't live and he died the death that we should have died, which we celebrated last uh, Good Friday. And then on Sunday, we celebrated the fact that he rose again, overcoming sin and death forever and offering us his life so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see sinful Brad, he sees Jesus and he can welcome me, he can adopt me into his family. And in that moment, I am instantaneously spiritually changed from an enemy of God to a friend of God. But simultaneously in that moment, and if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know this, right? Simultaneously, we are entering into a relationship with God whereby God changes us throughout our life into the likeness of his son Jesus, right? It's not like, boom, instantly we're saved and we're instantly perfect, right? How many of you are perfect? Put your hand up high. Okay, good, because otherwise I was going to say you're a liar and that's not perfect. (laughs) Okay, nobody's perfect. Even after we meet Jesus, even after we enter into a relationship with him, we are not perfect. Only Jesus was perfect, but through our life, God works through the Holy Spirit and changes us from the inside out. And today, what we're going to talk about is how God does that, and actually how God does that best. And we're going to talk about how God invites us to worship. God invites us to worship. Now, throughout this series, we kind of set out, I created a new term this week, uh, and Pastor Chris, I think this is a cool term we should adopt. It's called bibliological Okay, bibliological, it's a, it's a big word, but all it means really is this, that the way we've structured this series is so that we can understand biblically what it means to be changed. You see, the first week it starts with being into the fam- coming into the family of God. This week we're going to see how God begins then as we are part of his family to change us from the inside out. Next week we're going to be invited to change, and then the following two weeks we're going to talk about what we do in the world as changed people. And so we kind of came up up with that term so that we can do this, so we can understand how it works. So that we can kind of grasp a hold of God's word and apply it into our life. And so our change begins with Jesus and it begins with his resurrection and putting our faith in him. And then as we worship him, God does even more inside of us through our life. So here's the take-home point for today. This is where we're going. God invites us to find our ultimate joy in Him through worship. God invites us to find our ultimate joy in Him through worship. And here's what we're going to discover. We're going to discover that worship, what it does for us is it focuses our hearts and even our minds on what matters most. That's what worship does for us. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a problem in your life? Now, I'm not talking about the kind of problem where you stand up and you are so stinking hungry and the football game's on. Or wait, hockey. What's on right now? Hockey, okay. Hockey. I love baseball. I love to play baseball. I do not like watching it. But anyway, so you're in, the, you're in the, your, your couch, you're on your couch, whatever you, you You're watching Lost, okay? I love Lost, all right? And you get up and you run out to the kitchen and you stub your toe on the hassock, or whatever that thing's called, on the coffee table, and you kind of trip and fall all the way out. And all you want to do inside of you is say something you know you shouldn't say, but instead you say, praise Jesus, right? I'm not talking about that kind of problem. The kind of problem I'm talking about is a deep-seated, real issue in your life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. If you've ever had a real issue, I've had real issues, real problems, put your hand up, okay? If you didn't put your hand up, the issue you're struggling with is lying, okay? (laughs) Now, keep your hands up for just a minute, please. Thank you. Thank you for all being honest. Now, look around the room, okay? Now, turn to your neighbor and say, we better get out of here. No, but seriously, turn to your neighbor and say, you've got issues. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, that's okay. The church is for people with issues. The church is for people with issues. I have issues, and I know that you all have issues because I know this about you. You're human, just like I am. And even though many of us have probably trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and He has began to mold us and shape us, we still have issues that God is working on us in. And today what I want to do, and actually my hope is this, that that we'll be able to recognize how God works on these issues through this thing called worship. And how that applies in our life. Because God works powerfully on our issues when we worship Him. And that's what we're going to see. In fact, we're going to look at an account in Psalm chapter 73. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Psalm 73. Get out your iPhone or Droid and open up your Bible app. Navigate to Psalm 73. If you don't have that, we're going to put it up on the screen for you as well. And we're going to take a look at this psalm. And we're going to see in this psalm a a guy who loved God, deeply loved God, who was screwed up. He had an issue. And this is what I love about Scripture. Scripture doesn't hide the issues of biblical characters, right? In fact, Scripture kind of exploits them to show us that, hey, you know what? These are real people with real issues. And this is a real God who loves unconditionally people who have issues. And he wants to help us to be restored back to him. That's what I love about Scripture. And that's what we're going to read tonight. We're going to read about a guy named Asaph. And Asaph uh, actually wrote... 12 psalms in the book of psalms here in the old testament and the these 10 that we um that psalm 73 starts out with uh he wrote 10 psalms in a row and he wrote them to show how god is in ultimate control of our lives even when we think he's not and he wrote psalm 50 and he wrote one other psalm that's recorded in the book of second chronicles And so we can read about Asaph's psalms and we can read a little bit about him. But what we're going to discover from Psalm 73 is that this guy had a very real, deep-seated issue that most of us would never talk about with anybody because it's embarrassing. And yet it's true for almost all of us that we have these issues in our life. And today we're going to see how God works through This works through this thing called worship with Asaph. And so I want you to open up Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to read this uh, in sections. It says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. Here's verse 3, here's his problem. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. So do you see Asaph's problem? It's envy. Verse 3 tells us that very clearly. And I bet Asaph probably wasn't the kind of guy to walk up to his buddy and say, Hey, man, man, I'm really struggling with envy today. You see that guy? I hate him because he has what I want. You know, I don't think he did that. I don't think he walked up to his friends and said that. But in his heart, he said that certainly. And if you're a believer in here today, and you look at people who are unbelievers, you might ask this question, right? I've looked at them. I see that their lives, man, they seem to have it together, but my life stinks. And I'm a follower of you, Jesus. What's going on? So you see, this was a real issue. Asaph was struggling with this just like we struggle with this. Now, Asaph's issue is envy. I want you to just pretend that there's a blank there and put your issue right in there. You know, I'm angry. I'm struggling with greed or whatever it is. Just put it right in there. And it continues on. Verse 5. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything in their hearts that their hearts could ever imagine or wish for. They scoff and speak only evil, In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. Now, can you sense Asaph's anger against these people? He's looking at them, and he's looking at his life, and he's saying, wow, they they seem to have everything, and they get to do everything, and they're not bound by your restrictions, because Asaph here, this is a very important point. He was actually the chief of the Levite musicians, so Asaph was put under the control of God, in his service to God. And so Asaph, for our purposes, was a person who loved God and had regulations that he had to follow. And so when he looked at people who didn't love God and people who didn't have to follow regulations, he got angry at them. And we can see that in that verse. You know, he says there, don't they have troubles like other people? I mean, come on, God. It doesn't seem like they do. And so he's angry with God about this. And he says this in verse 10. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking all their words. And now this this verse doesn't really make sense until we understand verse 11. Because verse 10 is so important when we understand it in light of verse 11. Here's Here's what it says. What does God know, they ask. These are the people who are rich. Does the Most High even know what is happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. You see, Asaph in verse 12 was saying, listen, these these guys, they're saying things that aren't true about you, and yet people believe them and they get confused. And God, I don't understand why that's happening, but doesn't that happen today? Right? The rich people have the greatest influence. Doesn't it seem to be true that those who are most wealthy in this world have a great influence? And why is that? Because they have a worldly means to affect other people's lives and they have a worldly means to build a platform on which they can ask the question i don't i don't know if god is real i'm not sure yet in fact i don't even think he is real but here's what i think and so the same is true for us that's what happened in asaph's day that's what is happening today and yet asaph still looks at them and says man he they can do anything they can say anything they can confuse your people god and You know what? Their lives look great. And then Asaph engages in two very poisonous games. And here's the first one. First, he plays the comparison trap. It's a lot like mousetrap. You get caught in the end. All right, verse 13. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Asaph's looking at these people and he's saying, God, you have blessed them greatly. It seems like they don't have any problems at all, and yet I have kept my way pure, and I have trusted you, and in comparison to them, I feel like I've wasted my life. Asaph is comparing his life. And then the second game that he plays is the blame game. Verse 14, and this always happens after we play the comparison trap. I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Do you see what Asaph is doing in that verse? He's blaming God for his situation. He's blaming God for his situation. You know what, Asaph, probably of all the people on the earth, he had the right to do that because he was a Levite. So by birth, he didn't have the right to not serve God. He had to serve God. Because the Levites were the priests of Israel. So he was born into this. He had to serve God. But here's the thing. Asaph didn't just have to. Asaph actually wanted to. And then he gets into this part in his life where he's looking at these people and saying, man, have I not given everything? And yet it looks like they have no troubles. But I, God, am struggling because I follow you. And I'm blaming you for it. That's what Asaph does. He plays the comparison trap. And then he plays the blame game. And then, Asaph does something very important. In fact, if you have a pen or a pencil or a highlighter or you can just mark something on your iPad or your phone, I want you to underline this because this is so incredibly profound when it comes to dealing with the issues in our life. When it comes to actually experiencing real, true change. This is really the first step we need to take. Here's what happened. Here's what Asaph did. Verse 17, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God. You see, in the Old Testament, the sanctuary was a place where God dwelled. It was a place where people came to offer sacrifices for the sins they had committed and blood was kind of spread throughout the, the sanctuary where God dealt with their sin, with their issues. And so Asaph went into the sanctuary. He went into, in other words, God's presence. And he spent time. Asaph had been looking at these people and he'd been struggling with this. And we can, deep, we can see clearly that Asaph thought deeply about this issue. God, I see these people. I envy these people. I'm struggling with this, and I don't know what to do, and so here I go. I'm going into your presence, and that's exactly what we need to do with our issues. We need to go into the sanctuary of God. Asaph was a screwed up guy, and he knew it, just like most of us know that we're pretty screwed up. But Asaph also also knew That if we want to find true change, it starts first by going into the presence of God. Now, here's what happened for Asaph. I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. You see, we can't truly understand our issues until we get into God's presence. We can't truly understand what's going on deep down inside of us until we consult our Creator. And that's why it's so important that we understand that if we want to have real, true, lasting change in our lives, it starts first by coming into God's family. Because only then... Can we allow the creator? Because remember, we're enemies of God in our natural state. But when we believe in Jesus, instantaneously, we are changed spiritually. But simultaneously, we're invited into a lifelong relationship where God changes us in our hearts and our minds. And so this is part of it, constantly coming into his presence and asking him, God, I'm struggling with this issue and I need your help. We have to come in to the presence of God. God led Asaph to realize something about himself. We see that in the next verse. And it's this, that Asaph's heart was desperately sick. Here's what it says. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Now, I don't know about you, but this has happened to me, to me for, on several occasions. Where I have not wanted to come to worship, where I have not wanted to spend time in God's word and pray, but I have been frustrated and angry over something, but the minute that I came into his presence, I realized that I was the idiot. You see, we can't understand our issues fully, until we come in to the presence of God. Asaph realized his heart was bitter and he was all torn up inside. I wonder how many of us have been there even today. And continuing on, Asaph makes a statement that is such an awesome promise about God's character. Here's what he says Yet I belong to you and you hold my right hand. You see, no matter how bad our situations are, no matter what we do, God still loves us. That's the amazing thing about Easter. That's the amazing thing about being here tonight worshiping God is that even though we screw up, deeply mess up, just totally annihilate God's plan for our life, God still loves us. God's still holding us by the hand. God is still guiding us. And Asaph continues on. He says this, you guide me with your counsel, leading me. And here's the, one of the most important keys in this whole passage to a glorious destiny. You see, what Asaph was realizing is this, that in his own life, when he was left to his own devices, all he could understand was his world. And when he looked at these people who were wealthy and had everything that they, they wanted and everything Asaph wanted and couldn't have, which made him mad, that's the whole issue here. When he realized in his world that that, that that was happening, it just made him angry. But when he got outside of his world and he got into God's world, he could look and see that God was leading him to something better. And that, is an amazing truth about coming into the presence of God. In the sanctuary, God began to soften Asaph's heart so that he could speak directly to him. And then it leads Asaph to this. This is the most profound two verses in this whole psalm. Possibly, to me, in the whole book of Psalms. It it led Asaph, being in the presence of God, led Asaph to realize that God was leading him to a glorious destiny, but it also led Asaph to worship God for who he truly was. Here's what he said. Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven And he continues on. I desire you more than anything on the earth. My health and my, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. And here it is. He is mine forever. How amazing is that! Asaph was dealing with this issue in his life. He was angry at God. In fact, he probably was on the verge of hating God because of the situation that God put him in, and yet he came into God's presence. I'm not sure if he did it willingly. It seems like he did, but he came into God's presence, and in God's presence, God spoke to Asaph. God helped Asaph get out of his own world and get into God's world and look at his situation and say, I'm leading you to a glorious destiny, and Asaph stands in awe of God and says, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on the earth I desire beside you. And though my heart and my flesh may fail, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Thank you, Jesus. That's what Asaph realized. That's what happened. God led Asaph into worship. And what I love about Scripture is this. Scripture tells us that God deals with our issues in kindness, that he leads us to repentance by his kindness, not by his harshness. And that is very clear in this passage. God led Asaph to worship because Asaph saw who God really was and what God was really doing. And here's what happened. God changed Asaph's heart. God got to the root of a belief that Asaph had, that these people who Asaph thought had it all together really had it all together. And I'm sure, as Asaph said, God probably laughed because God could see their hearts as well as he could see Asaph's heart, just as well as he can see mine and yours. So God knew those people don't have it together. In fact, they're going to an eternal destruction. But you, Asaph, are coming to glory with me. And there is nothing better and more important than that. So Asaph worshiped God. And here's what happened in verse 27 and 28. Those who desert him, that being God, will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, and this is where God leads us to in worship, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. God changed Asaph when Asaph came into God's presence. God led Asaph to worship because Asaph willingly realized, as God revealed himself and revealed the truth to Asaph, that he was better than anything on the earth. That's why Asaph said, you are my portion forever. You are my strength forever. Money will fail. Health will fail. But you are all I need now and forever. That's the beauty of being changed by God. And see, we were created for that. We were created to experience that constantly. We were created to find joy in God in this way, through worship as we come into his presence. And you see, I know sometimes we come in here and maybe even into um, some different worship experiences and we don't want to be there, but we have to trust God that he will do this that he will do something new in our hearts. And when we trust him, he will. So here's my question today. How many of you want to be changed like that? How many of you want to be changed like that? Maybe a better question is, and you don't need to answer this except in your own heart, how many of you and me need to be changed, need to be changed like that? How many of us need to be changed like that. I know for me, I need to be changed. Even though I know I belong to Jesus, I know that if I died right now, I would go to heaven. I still need to be changed by the Holy Spirit. And you know, it starts as we come into his presence. And then as he speaks to us and shows us what it is in our lives that we need to get rid of. And then here's the point and here's what Asaph did. We actually lay it down. At his feet and say, yeah, you know what, God, and that's what repentance is. Repentance is changing our minds about God and the things of God. So we change our mind. Asaph changed his mind about the people who seem to have it all together. You see, I don't know what the issue is for you, or, but I know what the issues are for me. And I know that there are still some things that God has to change my mind about. And the best way that that happens is through worship. And actually, here's, here's the commitment for today. I will practice a daily quiet time worshiping God this week. I will practice a daily quiet time worshiping God this week. Now, that might seem a little bit weird or ambiguous, or maybe you've never heard of this thing called a quiet time. I just want to share with you briefly what a quiet time is and then what I do in my quiet times for the most part. First, a quiet time is when we come into the presence of God. It's when, just like Asaph, we actually step into God's presence. And and here's the thing. It can be wherever you want it to be. Or wherever it happens, is what I've learned. When we enter into the presence of God, we allow Him to change us. And that's what a quiet time gives us the opportunity to have. And, And a lot of times I think we get too busy, maybe is the word, but I think Maybe distracted is better. And we look to this time on Sunday or Saturday night as a time for us to worship. But here's the thing: God wants us to worship all week long. He is worthy of our worship. Can you imagine having experiences like this all week long, every day, maybe some several times a day? I mean, how awesome would that be? Then maybe next week, when I when we ask if anybody's perfect, you might be able to raise your hand. You know? Probably you're still lying, but work, let God work on that in your quiet time. So that's what a quiet time is. A quiet time is time alone with God. Now, a quiet time doesn't mean that you are just by yourself. A quiet time can happen in a group of people just like this, because what a quiet time is is time focused in our hearts on God. Now, it's certainly easier when you turn your cell phones off, get away from your computers, get away from anything that distracts you. Your kids, I've learned, get away from them, Run. Just get away by yourself. It's the best place to be where you can enter into God's presence. But we can do it, and we do do it corporately here every week. So that's what a quiet time is. Now, here's what I do for my quiet times. I usually begin by singing or playing a worship song. And sometimes, depending on what God's dealing with me about, I'll get down face on the floor, knowing I'm not worthy of his presence. Sometimes I'll stand and praise about what he's doing. Other times I'll just sit in my chair and just say, God, I don't feel like being here today, <laughs> i am be honest. But I always start with worship. Because what I see in this passage is a man who was broken, who came into the presence of God by coming into the sanctuary where he could worship. So I begin by worship, and then I usually go into prayer, asking God for the things I need, and people I love, to protect them and for the people who are hurting. And then I open up scripture and I allow God to speak to me. I let him speak honestly without hindrance. And a lot of times it hurts, but it's so worth it. And then I end with a prayer and usually a song, just a brief prayer and a song. Overall, Sometimes it's ten minutes. Sometimes it's even five minutes. But sometimes it's longer than that. And I just allow God the time to move. But here's here's the point. When we have those times with God, we allow him to change us from the inside out. We allow him to move. We allow him to show us the issues that we have that we need to hand over to him. Asaph was changed by God in his presence God led him to worship. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to take an opportunity right now to sing and we're going to worship and we're just going to recognize for God, for who he is. We're going to let him speak clearly into our hearts. And so right now, I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads and just listen if you like to listen, if you're not a good singer and you don't Enjoy singing. That's fine. Just listen. If you want to sing, sing. But in this moment, invite God. In fact, I want you to pray this prayer before we even start. I want you to pray this. God, show me. God, teach me. God, change me. Would you just pray that? God, show me. God, teach me. God, change me. this moment, we ask you to look deep inside of us, and show us what needs to be changed, that we might honor you, that we might experience you as Asaph did so deeply, so deeply, in fact, that he looked at his life and said, there is nothing on the earth I desire more than you. Father, would you change our hearts? Would you take out a heart of stone, of rock, and replace it with a heart of flesh? We beg you to do that as we continue and worship you. sing together. thing that happens when we worship is that God will meet us and he will change us. He changed Asaph so much that Asaph was filled with joy. Asaph experienced something that he was, here's the thing, created to experience. And it happens in worship. And we just love God and say, wow, I don't deserve you, but I'm so thankful for you that you cared enough for me to die on the cross and change me so that I can be with you forever. That is how God works best on our issues is through worship.